Welcome to Australian Hunger. I am your host, Ben. First show back in 2019. A great show to start off. I'm interviewing Sulad Astral. Although, like being a Latin slash Latin hybrid phrase, <laughs> it's one of those ones which generates alternate pronunciations. Uh, so, but that, that, that's how I pronounce it. So yeah, I had a good break. I came back a little later than I had hoped because it's hard to come back from a break and get into some productive work. But regardless, I'm back. And uh, before I get into the interview, I kind of want to just do a little bit of reflecting on what the year ahead has to bring. Like, I kind of wish I could say, like, oh, I've got such exciting things I'm going to do. And if I had resources, infinite resources, and the kind of audience that might allow me to do some more extravagant things, uh, you know, I'd definitely be interested in. If I could do paddles of a bunch of metal musicians from various bands, that'd be awesome. But, you know, that's not really going to happen. And I could put it on my list, but I don't think that's particularly helpful to put on things that won't happen. But what I'm actually interested in doing is hopefully just producing this show, making it maybe a little bit better in the small ways that I can. Working on being a better interviewer, I, I think obviously anyone has rooms to improve in anything they do. And hopefully I'll be working on that. Uh, you know, maybe learn a little bit more about producing the show. Maybe tighten up some of the production a bit. Ideally, I'd want to... Well, one of the key things I'd want to work on would be to get like a slightly better quality of the audio recording um, when I'm talking to the guests. But, you know... I'm, <laughs> But with all the benefits of modern communication, one of the things we haven't necessarily gotten is incredibly good audio quality. That might be coming in the future, let's hope. But uh, you know, I'm doing the best with what I can with my limited resources here. Um, but I hope you enjoy the show, and if you have, I think you'll continue to enjoy the show. I've already got a lot of good guests lined up, some already recorded, and um, I'm looking forward to... Seeing what the musical landscape has ahead and tackling it with all the might I can. So, without further ado, my first interview of the year with Salad Astral, Stephen Fortune and Michael Rumpel. Stephen lives in New Zealand, Michael lives in the United States, and they were kind enough to set up a little bit of time in the limited window we have where our calendars all align in a reasonable non-sleeping time, and we managed to talk about the latest album, Oasis. So the song that I play during the middle of the interview is Penny's Down the Infinity Well, and the one I play at the end is Oasis. This is Stephen Fortune and Michael Rumpel from Salad Astral. Just so people can kind of get an idea who's who, introduce yourselves and what part you play in the band. Yes, so I'm Stephen. I initially started just by doing all the guitars, drum programming, bass, and sort of songwriting. That, yeah. Yep, and I'm Michael. And basically, I just write all the lyrics and I do all the singing and occasionally try to add a couple of musical ideas, but... Pretty much that's all, Stephen. So let's dive a little bit into that. When did the band start? Um, so at the end of 2011, I had just discovered uh, post-rock, and I'd been listening to a lot of black metal for most of sort of my metal listening life. My friend showed me a band called Lantlos from Germany, who are like a sort of you know post-rocky, black metal-y type band. Um, and then I, one of my friends who lives in Wellington 
Andrew, we sort of sat down for a whole day and decided that we would each separately just record a song over a period of about, I don't know, six, six to ten hours. And then at midnight, we'd come together and uh, listen to what we created. And at the end of that, that's um, I wrote the song Allure, which came out on the 10th of January 2012. And um, what I ended up doing was I posted the song that I wrote uh, just to, like, uh, what was it, the Post Black Metal Facebook group, uh, way, way, way back then, you know. And then... After that, i fairly sure I posted it on the Lantlos page, and that's when Mr. Michael over here turned up to say hello. Yeah, I just saw it, and I was like, uh, I was like, uh, hey, can I sing on this? And he was like, yeah. And that was well, violent. actually, well, like, what actually happened was I was like, no, actually, no. You can't sing on this song because this song's already out. But I have another song that I've just started writing that I'll send to you, and you can do what you want with it. And that ended up being Amorosis from the self-titled album, which came out uh, 2013? 13? Something like that. Yeah, that sounds yeah, about right. Yeah. And um, uh, the vocal recording that you hear is exactly what I heard when he – it's exact, the exact takes that he uh, ended up being on the album that he sent to me from that first thing. Mm, yeah. so that's how it started. Michael, from your perspective, like, why? What, what were you doing? Were you, what were you looking for? Um, trying to do do vocals for other people's instrumental projects. Um. Well, pretty much. I. Oh God, how old were we at the time? We were like what, like seventeen, eighteen, uh, right? I was something like that. I was twenty. No. Two thousand twelve. Well, yeah. Well, I was like probably eighteen, and. Um, I uh, was just coming out of my first band that I was in in high school, which was like a prog metal band. I'm, and I'm out here in uh, North Carolina in the United States. And um, but I was most interested in doing something with black metal more than anything else, especially at the time. And uh, basically, I was really into like Alcest and Agalock and Lentlos and stuff like that, which I, I mean, I still am, of course. And uh, I just happened to see that post and I wasn't like actively searching to like be on anybody's project. But uh, uh, when I heard it, I was like, oh, shit, this is exactly what I'm trying. Like, this is exactly what I want to listen to. And there's no vocals on it. And all I can do is sing. So and I just got this mic. So let me just try to do some recording and see how it is and see if I can kind of be a part of this. And fortunately, Stephen was kind enough to be like, yeah, man, give it a shot. And, you know, now we're here. What is this like six, seven years later? And we have yeah. a third record out. So I'm pretty stoked on it. Where did the name for the band come from? Uh, it, it started <laughs> off as like a pure aesthetic thing. Like I wanted to have a band. I wanted to, the name for the thing to sort of look like Alces and look like Lantlos. Just because just I looked up to those guys so much and I really enjoyed the music. And so... I sort of vibed really hard off that, but um, I think it was in Latin or something, ad astra means to the stars, and soul is just like a uh, a reduction of soul, and I put a little thing on it just because it looks funny. So it's supposed to be like, you know, your soul out amongst uh, the whole universe, as it were. But, I mean, at the same time, it doesn't mean anything, so, yeah. Uh, Michael, you going to add something? 
No, I didn't even know that. Like, I just thought it looked cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw a song title by uh, one of those early 2000s gent bands called Ad Astra, and I just thought it was cool. But I didn't even think about what it meant until I Googled it. It must have been like a year or something later. And I was, it's actually like a small, I think is it Latin? I think it's Latin, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, and then I just sort of just, you know, shoved the words together. Yeah, it's a, it's a Latin phrase meaning to the stars. I added the L on the end so that it looked more like, you know, astral or astral plane or something like that. So it's a bit more palatable to the English reader. But yeah, that's, that's, that's really what the name is. So the initial idea for the band was kind of very much rooted, as you, as you talked about, that post-rock, black metal um, sort of sound. What was it that initially attracted you to that sound, those kind of bands? Um, so I, uh, before I actually listened to Lantlos, I was a pretty hardcore purist when it came to, you know, metal and, and overall, I didn't, I liked sort of the really raw or really true to the, whatever that means, true with a V probably true to the original aesthetic and sound that they were doing, uh, sort of the Norwegians were doing back in the, um, nineties and stuff. Um, and my friend James Parsons, who I still, who is just one of my best friends ever, um, he was writing a song which had this type of aesthetic, which is that sort of like, sort of, um, sort of what ended up being sounds like Deaf Heaven. He was writing stuff like that back in about 2000 and early, like mid 2011. So I was, I would be hanging out with him and, you know, drinking and stuff. And he'd be showing me these songs and I'm like, you can't look, mate, you can't put blast beats under like clean, clean guitars. It's just not, you're not allowed to do that. Like you either have, it has to be super minor chord keys and they're changing chromatically and it's really disgusting. And you're supposed to be like all covered in corpse paint, all that sort of stuff. So I heard, so I saw him doing that and I was like, I'm just sort of shoved it off. And then he showed me Lantlos and we just sit down. I sat down and listened to it. I think it was the first track off Agape, the 2011 album. And I was just like, this is like incredible. Like, and I was, I just like, it was one of those things where I sat and listened to it and I just couldn't believe what I was listening to. I thought I would hate it, but I liked, loved it the whole time. And at that same time, uh, I had discovered for the first time bands like Sigur Ross. Uh, Explosions in the Sky, um, what was the other one? Godspeed, You Black Emperor, who I actually, I actually ended up seeing Explosions in the Sky just before doing this recording, like a couple of days before doing this recording. So it was like it, it, all the inspirations sort of came together at the right times, right before I actually ended up writing that first song, which, you know, expanded to the rest of the stuff. What about you, uh, Michael? What about you? Um, all right, well pretty much kind of similar start off there like when i was i think i was like i don't know 15 or 14 or whatever and i was like i'm gonna see what this whole black metal thing is about and got very true and like i bought a burzum record and i was like oh this is fucking amazing and uh i was super pure like all i would listen to is metal through like most of high school and uh i think i found like alceste and agaloc and something about like those extra i mean this is before like like Al this is like for example before alceste put out like shelter or anything so it was still like it was just like the first two records right and i think they had only had up to ashes released for agalock at the time and um it was like the introduction of all these new styles for me because i was like in high school right um 
was really, I guess, liberating because it, weirdly enough, I guess that black metal kind of opened the door to other kinds of music for me because of the whole post black metal scene. And that was super liberating to me because, like, it, it opened up like Cocktoo Twins and My Bloody Valentine at the time, right? And so, kind of marrying those styles, especially back when, like, the, uh, the like pest production, uh, press production compilation at the time and stuff like that that had uh, shit. What was that band called? Uh, that Dang was using. You know what I'm talking uh, about? Dopamine. Thank you, dopamine. Dopamine, yeah. Like that yeah. Kind of stuff, super cool to me. So I mean, and still is again. So, um, but nobody in North Carolina. I, now they are, but in 2011, nobody in North Carolina was doing any kind of music like that. So, and I couldn't play. So that's pretty much hearing somebody else doing it that had kind of a tentatively open slot was very attractive to me, uh, especially as kind of an empty template to kind of put my ideas and emotions into. And at the time I was, you know, a late teenager and, you know, kind of angsty. And now I have adult things to deal with that I also am happy to kind of be able to write about, you know, that's about it for me. Move on, and I, I kind of want to fill in the gap between the first and the third record. But for the moment, let's start talking about the third one, Oasis. When do you guys start working on that one? Um, so from a sort of song standpoint, a lot of the songs were they were written... So they're all written after the first album, but they were written alongside the second album that we did. So... Afterglow. So a lot of the songs are just like sort of beast, not a B-side, I guess, but um, they're just sort of written here and there around the place. Um, I'd been focusing a lot of my energy into Afterglow because that was uh, sort of a large endeavor, I think, for the both of us, sort of trying out lots of different things. But um, yeah, so like after that album came out, I sort of had a few songs and was like, oh, I guess I kind of should continue with the aesthetic of these songs and sort of just slowly built them up over a few years. I think it was between this broken I sorry, this broken ideal and float were written in 2012 and the last tracks written for Oasis were written in 2015. So there's actually a, a really big gap and there's a lot of things that happen in life in that gap uh, I think for both of us really. Um mm. so some it's I came out pretty a lot vaster than sort of any of the other efforts that we had. But that's only just because of it wasn't really a focused songwriting for, for this album, but it's it has come together. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for for me, I started writing similarly early. Um, but I was... So I had put like a lot of emotion into the first the first record that was like all very you know, like being 18, 19 years old, right? And um, I didn't, I kind of purged a lot of stuff for me lyrically. So with Afterglow, I, I didn't really write about myself. So now that we were in Oasis, I um, uh, I was in college and didn't really know what to write about. And I wanted to, and I wanted to kind of, I guess, really live up to the music that was being written as a lyricist and as a vocalist and like with emotional integrity, I guess. And it took me a while to really be able to do that, I think. 
uh, as well as to grow as a singer. Um, but I was writing off and on throughout that time, but I scrapped a lot of what I had done in the beginning of, uh, or the end of last year, I want to say, or middle of last year in 2017, because, um, I had some pretty, uh, traumatic life stuff go on. And even the lyrics I had kept from previously, um, I re-recorded everything that I had done, uh, kind of using the same emotional energy from the re-recorded lyrics or the, sorry, the rewritten lyrics, like that same emotional energy to kind of do everything. And, um, so even though I was writing throughout, I would say like what's heard on record comes from stuff from like 2017, essentially. That really kind of flows in nicely to fill in the gap between record one and record two. What what kind of happened between those two records, which made you, you know, not change your sound? Well, you definitely did change your sound, but like it became more expansive. You included included more elements while keeping a lot of that core stuff. What what was that that you felt that was happening? What was it that was going on that made you want to expand and broaden your horizons? I mean, Stephen could probably speak a little bit more to this, but I mean, I feel like we just kind of stopped being like teenage metal purists and we're like really thought like okay breakdowns are sick and (laughs) like death metal is sick so why not do that and why not put all this other shit in there and like whatever we're not not confine ourselves to just like doing this one thing just because a scene thinks it's cool i'll let steven speak more on that but that's kind of my thought on it yeah so um i The idea for Afterglow for me came from my first uh, psilocybin mushroom trip where it was an amazing experience and it was incredibly wholesome um, and beautiful. And the next day I woke up and I had I had uh, in my mind sort of just like a visual of how this next body of music was going to go. Because after this first album, I was thinking, okay, so how do I follow that up? Like, do I just write more songs that sort of build and crescendo and they use sort of like the same sort of um, uh, chord progressions and stuff. And after when I woke up that next day, I was like, okay, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to start like this and it's going to build in this way. And I drew, I basically drew like a large squiggle on a page and I'm like, okay, so this part here is where it sort of falls apart. And this part here is where it's like reforming itself again. And then this part here is where it comes together. And at the end is sort of, um, you to become uh, self-conscious by the end of it in like a positive way, and so like I endeavoured basically. I just sat down and wrote sort of the first twenty minutes on that on that day. The ne- the next day, I just sat down and just played guitar for most of that day because it was a Saturday, and um, and then I just started bouncing the ideas off Michael, um, and then yeah, that's just sort of how that's how it came about really, um, and we sort of. Oh, sorry, for me, I didn't really, uh, in terms of the sound, it sort of, it was just like from start to finish, apart from one song, which was Dozing in the Riptide, which I'd already written. Um, the rest of the song I wrote basically from start up until where Dozing Tide would come in and then f- continued on afterwards. So it was a very linear uh, songwriting experience for me, which I've never actually done like that at that point in time before. And so, I, again... Um, large amount of experimentation because of the 
uh, what you know, just pretty much what Michael said earlier. In terms of like the way you actually write music, what what, what does that process look for you, Steve, uh, Look like for you, Stephen? Mostly, uh, it starts off with just like having the guitar in my hand and doodling. It could be um, I just could be sitting in my room or sitting like out in the sun outside my house, listening to the birds sing. Um, could be, and then like after that, I'll come up with something that I just like. And I'll just go into my, you know, recording uh, digital audio workstation, sit down and just put it down, put some drums to it, and then see see what the bass wants to do within it or what it can do or what it can't do or shouldn't do and sort of just, like, build it up. So for all of the songs that I was writing at that time, so alongside Afterglow, it would have been uh, This Broken Ideal and Float. I had, um, I had that sort of right from how you know, how would I want the listener to hear the song start, what I want them to experience throughout the journey of it, and how do I want it to finish? Um, and where do I want the moments of intensity or the moments of, um, uh, you know, silence or solemn, solemnity, solemnness? You know, where, where whereabouts in those songs do I want the, those feelings to be portrayed within the aesthetic that we have? Um, and it's it basically it's different for every song because each song has a different, uh, at this point in time, this song, each song, I feel has quite a different personality to each other, which I think is quite, um, on Oasis, it ends up being quite sort of clear. With the variety of the music, is that you... So we've talked a little bit about the fact that you're kind of releasing some of those apprehensions about sticking in one genre. But, like, are you, are you, were you listening to a broad array of music? Because, like... The, the, it, just an example, the last track on the album Oasis is very doomy in a way that I'm not sure any of the other tracks are. Like, there's a great deal of variation. Like, so are you incorporating more influences? What's going on in the way your kind of musical landscape looks uh, over that kind of period? So for that period, I had just moved into um, a house where I lived with uh three members of another band that i was playing in and three members of another local band in town so it was a complete uh art- artistic and uh musical household so there, i'd always come home from university and i could walk up the hill and i would be hearing i could walk up and know that this guy was jamming on the drums and another guy was jamming on the guitar and they're all like incredible um people and personalities and stuff and so they all listen to completely different music um, some of them listen to bands like uh, Dimmer, Joy Division. Some of them listen to just like jazz and drone bands like Isis, um, Sumac. And then other guys listen to straight death metal. They, he only listens to Slam. He only listens to, you know, Distant Tomb, uh, New Zealand's Dawn of the Zazel, New Zealand's Ulcerate, uh, Suffocation. Listens to that. Another guy I lived with also listened to he listened to ex- almost exclusively to 90s death metal and 90s black metal that was just his entire jam and then the other guy listened basically to hardcore and hardcore punk so we i got just a complete plethora of different types of music and every day i'd walk into the kitchen and there'd be some other music on so um so you know doom was an aspect of that um i fundamentally my favorite band is Meshuggah. so that put and i liked i have a guitar that's in 
that their tuning most of the time. And that's the same guitar that I use for writing the stuff for Soul. So a lot of the super low notes that you hear are only just because of the tool that I use to write the music, which has a low E in it, which is, uh, it's quite hefty. I can, you know, it's, it's really, it's really, it, you can feel it in your guts, I reckon, if you, if you were to hear it live. Uh, Michael, talk a little bit about where you come into the process and how you kind of approach that. Um, well, pretty much, like, at, when I come in, St- Stephen's pretty much done with the song. Um, we we kind of have a working relationship where um, very early on we realized we really liked what each other was doing. So we, I don't think we often comment on, or I shouldn't say comment, but we don't often try to imply how the others should do their work or alter their work, but rather... Um, end up enjoying each other's work and just want to see what the other person does with the process. So once he's pretty much finished with the track, it's, it's, it's going to be a good song when he, I think feels it's finished. And, uh, I just kind of, da- he just sends it to me on Dropbox and I just download it. And, um, I just end up like just listening to it a lot and sitting with it. And, um, very, very occasionally, probably hopefully more in the future, but you know, we'll see, uh, I'll add a little bit of synth or something just to, if I feel like it's going to help with my vocal ideas, but I basically just try to try to think of melodies or lyrics. Um, lyrics are really hard. It sucks that I'm like a singer and I can't really do anything else because lyrics are really hard for me. Um, but, uh, but you know, you got to do them. So, uh, Pretty much just whatever is, a, I guess, bothering me in my general life, uh, which could be, at this point, anything. It could be political. It could be personal. Um, we'll just go straight into the lyrics, and then I'll try to obscure it a little bit. Um, and then I just, you know, I just grab my mic, and I just track everything, and we just try to get it mixed and go. Um, but I think the most important thing for me is to be... Um, I think I mentioned this earlier to be um, kind of have some sort of integrity, like emotional integrity, you know, even if I'm not writing inherently about myself, like an afterglow um, that the, uh, the, the emotion behind the performance feels genuine and is genuine. Uh, Cause I feel that does the most dust justice to the work. So as long as I'm doing that, I don't care if I'm screaming or singing or, whatever I, as long as it's feels real then it feels good to me mm. yeah and um one of the things one of the things that's just sort of ended up being part of the thing is that i pretty much won't say anything to michael about what the song is about or the feelings that come across that i that i want to come across because it turns out that he actually hits the nail on the head every single time without me having to say anything there's been a couple of times where I've had an idea for the, you know, for the concept of the song, like the clenching void is a song title that I had for a song off the first album that I, I you know, I said I'd like the song to be about to have this title, but you know, you can do anything with it really. And um, so sometimes I had most of the song titles that I have are sort of the idea that I had at that point in time, but I'm, I'm okay with letting that go um, to support the, again, um, Michael's, Michael's performance and the lyrics and stuff. Yeah, and interesting. I, sorry. 
Sorry, I want to add to that. You, um, there's actually numerous titles that you've just made a demo title. Um, Oasis was a demo title, and Float was a demo title. Um, and sometimes, like again, I'm not great at writing lyrics, so or it's hard for me to think of them. So, uh, like Oasis now has very personal meaning to me. Float, like a lot of the themes on Oasis had ended up. I didn't even realize it until I was done with it. But there was a lot of themes of like drowning in the like. Um, like the visuals of the lyrics right or you know what i mean um but i'll like take one of his demo titles and be like okay well let me use this word and okay this is like let me just say this is the title even though it it's just a, a an aesthetic choice he made and write around that and end up making it personal to myself so yeah that was pretty much that you can continue yeah i think it's um I think it's worked out really well, in the, in, you know, at this point in time. I actually, um, I'm writing lyric, a lot of lyrics for the band that I'm playing locally live in now, and I, I kind of, based on what Michael's just said, because we haven't really discussed this at this point, but I think I might have to um, help out a little bit by providing some sentences because I've been doing a bit of practice, Michael. So, yeah. Oh, sick. <laughs> One thing that was really, really interesting, and you know, obviously the musical journey as well, but vocally sort of experiencing your development, Michael, especially from one to two, but also to three, talk a little bit about what that process has been for you. Is it something you've been working on? I assume, obviously. But like, what's been going on over the last, I don't know, six or so years that sort of got you to the place where you are on Oasis? Well, um, I'm pretty much never like a hundred percent satisfied with myself as a singer. Um, I'm more, I think, more so in the past couple of years. I mean, I always say that though, because um, I'm, I'm, I'm even the, even if I say that, I'm still trying to get a little bit better. Um, I think fundamentally, I'm, I'm always kind of below my target because um, my favorite, like you know, Stephen said, like. Fundamentally, his favorite band is Meshuggah. For me, is a is a Japanese band called Darren Gray, and their singer uh, Kyo is to me like the best singer in the world. And his not just his range, but his creative ability is just outrageous. And I I think for me, it's like that type of thing I'm always kind of striving for, like being able to kind of do as be able to creatively do as much as possible. And to me, that that means continuing to kind of push my boundaries because I was like I was not born a good singer, like like I was not good at all, and I had difficulty. I couldn't even sing a harmony until I could barely sing a harmony until Oasis. Um, but um, just I just kind of keep doing it. Like I try to do it like every day or at least a few times a week and record myself as much as possible and critique myself and so on the first record i was you know again like 18 19 17 18 19 and i was only as good as i was at that age when i still had the, but this the same goal has been in mind the whole time and um going to afterglow when the musical palette kind of expanded i think it was easier for me to do so vocally as well and that was just as much growth as I had had with this same kind of mindset at the time. 
and Oasis musically. I mean, not to imply that the other music was not as good, but uh, Oasis musically, it was just it's the next project, and the music is really good. So, I um, every time I finished a project, I felt like uh, I could do it better. I should do it better. And between the time it took me to really get the emotions and the lyrics down, um, I really wanted to make sure I had grown enough as a singer to kind of meet the ideas or to kind of really execute the ideas I had well enough. Um, and I guess, unfortunately, it just took a really long time. But um, in the end, I feel like I was able to like, keep working on it until I could really execute those ideas at kind of the standard that I wanted to. And, you know, I'm sure next time I'll say the exact same thing. Oh, like in the last two years, I've, you know, gotten where I wanted to be. And then two years after that. <laughs> <laughs> so with the recording mixing process, it's very much in-house with you guys. Talk about the, how that worked out. So um, I recorded all of my guitars, bass, um, just at home. I got to use some VSTs to program some of the synth that's on there. And I used uh, the tune track Easy Drummer 2 to, to like, do all the drums and stuff. Um, what I ended up doing was uh, bouncing a lot of the mixes that I had off Michael because he's done, in the, in the time between Afterglow and Oasis, <clears throat> he has done quite a bit more mixing work than I have. I've, I've mostly just been playing live in a uh, couple of local bands and not really thinking too much about it, so I got him to get to, you know to bounce uh, uh, to bounce the mix off and get some um, uh, constructive criticism off him. And then what I ended up doing is sending my raw mix over to him. And I'm not sure exactly what he did, what you did, but um, yeah, yeah. Once he sent it to me, um, I uh, I kind of EQ'd it a little bit more to uh, just bring out some more of the guitar mid range. Um, I think in hindsight, I would have done that a little bit more, but whatever. Uh, I, um, I layered an extra kick and snare onto it. That was just, um, they were just to give those elements just a little bit more punch, which is why I asked for the, uh, the drum tracks, Damon. And, uh, yeah, the, the MIDI, yeah. Yeah. So I basically, I just did that to just give it a little bit more oomph in those kind of frequencies and really, cause I feel like, um, that was something we could have improved on the last two records. So I really wanted to hit that on this one. And um, then I just mixed all my vocals over his um, kind of pre-mixed instrumental. And, um, you know, which was difficult because it was, you know, I kind of did it all in one file like an idiot. But, you know, next time I'll, I'll probably do a better job because uh, I probably could have gotten some harsher frequencies out of my voice too. But, you know, whatever. We learn. And uh, then I I got the... Uh, I bounced it and had it mastered by uh, Jamie King, who's a produ- he's a producer out here in North Carolina. Um, and uh, he's done all kinds of crazy work. Like, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, like, Between the Buried and Me, he's done, like, every record they have. He's, like, the fucking nicest guy in the world. So He's so, he's so uh, chill, eh? Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. We just did, did it like that, got him to master it, and uh, put it out. I think... Um... I'm actually demoing some stuff for another release um, to come out within in, in the future, and I think uh, for this one I'm going to get I'm going to get Michael over here to be more p- a part of that process. Um, 
this next thing is also has some of uh, Michael's songwriting in it as well. And I think more of those aspects, it's going to become, I feel, I want it to become slightly more collaborative with the whole thing as well. So it's going to be different. The next one for sure.
Uh, a couple other details about the album. Why did you pick Oasis as the title? Hmm. I mean, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> pretty, I think Steven had the idea like years ago to have the album called Oasis, or at least that song. I can't yeah. remember. Um, but like, I, it wasn't like because he's like, Oasis means this. He was just like, this sounds sick. And I was like, okay, well, this sounds sick. Like, well, then I say it means this. And he was like, all right, well, then that's it. Yeah. Easy peasy. What about the artwork? Who did you get to do that, and what was their brief? You know, I don't actually know what the guy's uh, the guy's name is, but basically, the label that released it is called um, Flowing Downward, and they're fucking awesome. Um, I mean, we've always had good experiences, but you know, we were just looking to release, and I was talking to my friend, um, uh, my friend Bogdan, who's uh, I do some work with in a group called Sky Forest, kind of session work, and he recommended them and they really liked our earlier work so they were like yeah we'll release it we're like we don't have any art uh they're like well we have a guy and i don't even know who that guy is but he fucking nailed it um and uh pretty much for the brief i uh he he just uh the label the label owner just had me send him a description which I basically i had given him like some color palette choices which are the you know the colors that you see on there um, I told him kind of the inspiration, the, like the lyrical inspirations behind the record, um, which I could go into if you'd like. And uh, I told him like some specific images that I had in my head were um, kind of, of, you know, this kind of blue, uh, like drowning kind of thing. And um, I wanted the kind of, image of a of an individual like of a person in it but very much obscured and uh that's pretty much what i told him and they sent that back in like a week and i was like i have no notes and they didn't even just send that back they sent the entire layout back and i was like uh yeah this, this is it this, this looks great mm, yeah it's, it's really incredible how some of those in-house people just are able to produce such really incredible work um in terms of ly- lyrical inspirations by all means go into that Oh yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's kind of um, so it's kind it's kind of it's kind of simultaneously fragmented and not because it was so um, it was written across a spectrum. Like, I think the earliest lyric on the whole record is "This Broken Ideal." Yeah, which I've I've recorded that song I think like four fucking times. The final <laughs> the final recording, I finally thought of harmonies for it, but um, uh. It, it basically but the lyrics didn't change uh but like that 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 one i mean i can barely remember i think that one i was just uh i, I was just dealing with like I, i'm from the north carolina as i had mentioned which is kind of the bible belt of the united states or it's within the bible belt of the united states and i i live in a, a fairly uh I, I live in a more like ur- urban suburban area but um uh, I'm definitely surrounded by a lot of a lot of uh, people whose kind of worldviews I do not agree with, and I think that was what inspired that track. Um, but I, I mean, but that was what was uh, bothering me a lot at the time, which was like 2012. I was in college, um, and I was living away from home for, I mean, almost the first time, kind of. And um, other other songs were inspired by like you know, relationship stuff and whatnot. But, and then I ended up in, uh, 2017, I, I had a really close, a really close friend who, um, 
was my one of my best friends through high school um and uh she was she ended up dealing with a lot of depression when um i wrote I, funny enough i wrote uh, a good bit about that on the first solid Oscar record um and um in 2017 she uh committed suicide and so i ended up rewriting a lot of the lyrics to kind of get through that and uh i re i re-recorded everything that wasn't about that to kind of um but with the same emotional energy of the songs that were about that and in a so in a sense even though it was somewhat fragmented um the emotional delivery is all coming from the same place, which is kind of getting through that one, I guess, life event. And, uh, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. Cause once I finished that, I was, you know, it's, it's kind of like you write some lyrics, you talk about some stuff and then it kind of manifests outside of you. And it's helpful to kind of, at least for me, it's kind of like therapy, you know? So that's pretty much what the record is about. Uh, I'm I'm uh, sorry to hear that. Um, um, I wanna, no, it's fair. It's fair game. I want to ask a couple of questions, sort of about the things that are sort of brought a little bit outside the album, a little bit outside the music, but related. Um, Stephen, we were talking a little bit over Facebook about the scene in New Zealand, specifically the scene in your hometown. Do you want to go into a little bit about that and you know, some of those interesting details that we were chatting about? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to be biased in a lot of the things that I say about the New Zealand metal scene <laughs> or just the New Zealand music scene. Um, but sort of over just if you think back to things like the Florida death metal scene or the New York City, you know, sorry, New York State, you know, death metal scene that was occurring in the late 80s, early 90s. There is a similar type of thing that has been very slowly manifesting here in New Zealand. New Zealand is a very, very small place. Um, there's only a, about four and a half-ish million people. And, you know, all of the cities are not massive. Metal underground scenes are not massive. Underground death metal scenes or black metal scenes are even smaller within those scenes. So the people that um, have the ability to write and perform all of this type of music um, a few and far between and also very, 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 very keen and very passionate about what they do. So what I found has ended up is that you have a lot of, as opposed to being, as opposed to seeing a scene where you're seeing like, you know, like maybe in the 10s, 20s, 30s types of like of death metal band coming out of Florida or, you know, Finnish folk metal band or something. It, there's not enough, uh, there's not enough people to really have that type of um, very specific genre based thing uh, sort of scene that turns up. So what ends up happening is that you have a lot of really small focused niche scenes that share a lot of band members between themselves within each city and that sort of manifests in um, really focused and really, uh, what would the word be, focused and succinct um, musical approaches by various acts. I, the main one that I would always like to share with everyone is Ulcerate, which I think is New Zealand's like number one death metal export 
like of all time. They're just Bad. they have this sound which is like uh like un uh, it's I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. It's just incredibly atmospheric, but also at the same time really finely textured and really beautiful and really impactful all at the same time. And there's not really that many other bands that have the same aesthetic as them around the world. At the same time, like in comparison, you could probably in New Zealand you'll definitely find death metal bands in the vein of Cannibal Corpse. Like they sound like they've listened to a lot of Cannibal Corpse and you know it's it's pretty clear. But it's hard when you listen to a band like Ulcerate, especially what they've been putting out since about two thousand and twelve. Um it there's then there's you know that has manifested in you know this type of scene is manifested in that and there are more bands who um are still coming out now still barely scratching the surface of international recognition in new zealand um within many different genres sort of doing the same type of thing and it's i'm it's just really cool it's a really cool vibe i know a lot of the people in it and i get to talk to them and they're all just really really down to earth and really chill and um that's just sort of what we do down here in new zealand it's just so cold and depressing man like Sometimes in the winter, the sun doesn't is barely even out. <laughs> it's sort of like a mini, mini Finland in that sort of way, where the sun's only out for four hours a day or something. Especially in winter time, so you got to do something, and music seems to be a good one, especially death metal and metal. I think uh, New Zealand's definitely one of those. I, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I've always thought of Australia as having a scene which produces. Like, obviously, it's small compared to a lot of other scenes, but produces just a lot of quality albums. Oh, absolutely. noble ones. And, yeah, New Zealand def- definitely has produced them. Um, I think uh, Shallow Grave I interviewed earlier this year. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could name a, a couple of others as well. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It sort of concentrates, you know, under, under that sort of pressure of having a, a very small kind of population to work with. Yeah, yeah. and also just sort of isolation uh uh ge- you know uh geographically like because new zealand is also separated into two islands um that are you know not the same size but fairly similar in size it's actually really hard for people to get around in between without paying a, a, like a buttload of money to get to the north island to go and do something so you have to like make do as best as you can with what is with the tools that are around you know the people that are in town to play drums there's a immense shortage of people in my town uh to play metal drums most of them are playing in at least one band um the guy that i'm playing with locally actually plays in two other bands and has played in a fourth band previously um so that's the type of productivity can come out of these places i think another um in terms of australian stuff one of the biggest uh, sort of uh persons that i've really come to admire for sort of his very dedicated songwriting ethic is um, Brendan from Convulsing, which who I'm fairly sure you interviewed earlier this year. Very first interview I ever did for this show. Yeah, I, I'm, and like, he's actually released my death metal album of 2018, which is you know, um, Grievous. So, what'd you say, Michael? I said it's sick. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember the, the some of the details of the interview, but if I'm not mistaken in it, that interview, he mentions that he's basically trying to do ulcerate without copying them too much. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's he's do, he's and he's doing he's doing that at like a bare at, at like the fundamental, and it's just his, his I don't know, it's just super when I, wow, that 
six minutes 20 in the, on um on the new album is like just the moment where it, it for me it just hits me in the chest and i feel like i need to lie down it's so good it's so good yeah it's a really amazing record um michael uh one, one of the interesting things just sort of browsing around about you is you've been involved with a lot of bands from poland chile russia obviously new zealand how have you come to be you know had parts or be parts of so many different projects from so many different countries um so it's actually not as complicated as it might seem um basically when i was younger as i had mentioned i was in my first band was a prog metal band and i not speak ill of that band at all because you know i I mean that was a huge foundation for me but um but i wanted to do more black metal at the time when i was like 17 18 and i was on i I haven't been on for years but i was on the metal archives forums a lot at the time (laughs) and um basically there was musicians forums where people would be like typically it would be like guitarists who would be like hey man i i'm I'm working on a little a little demo a little project and i and i need a person to to sing and i would just respond like if it sounded cool i would just respond to people and be like hey i'm 17 18 and i've got a microphone like a sm58 and an mbox like i'll i'll sing on your demo and normally people would be like no (laughs) i want i want a full-grown adult but uh uh some people would get back to me uh so um with each thing kind of with people that got back to me and it kind of worked out uh and we did a project i just kind of ended up keeping working with them because you know we would end i don't know it's pretty easy to be friends with people generally um so um it's just kind of manifested as people you know keep growing and as i keep growing the work keeps getting better so we just keep putting out music in different projects but with all that like uh like for example in sky forest i don't uh, which is the russian thing you're referring to i i don't even necessarily like i'm a i'm a member but like i kind of view myself more as like another instrument for um for bogdan because he he essentially just sends me uh he sends me like everything done he'll send me like kind of his like super auto-tuned vocal with all the harmonies and everything and lyrics and be like this is what i want you to do and i'm fine with that because he's just like i want to hear your voice doing my music you know so and in other projects i actually have one other project i'm about to put out right now that i'm i'm doing more as like a very secret super like death spell omega black metal kind of project where i'm trying to keep it more with a which is also in another international project. Uh, but that's because, you know, there's a lot of religious lyrical themes and I don't want to get in trouble at my job. <laughs> or anti-religious, you know. So this is obviously a, a question for both of you guys, but when did you get started in heavy music and, and what was it that appealed to you about it? Um, for me, uh, hmm. In terms of listening, I think I came back from school one day after having, you know, after being bullied or having some teacher think that I was a piece of shit or something. I came back and I turned on 
music TV and uh, Linkin Park was playing, and there was a dude. There was in the video. I forgot what song it was, but there's like a kid like screaming amongst all this war happening around him and stuff, and everything just explodes and shit. I was like, that's oh, fucking cool. That's I was from huh? the inside, baby. That was from the that's, inside. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that was uh. That was like I got home that day and I just was like glued and I'm like I you know there was no I couldn't you know rewind it I didn't know that didn't see the name of the band when they started you know how they had the logo in the bottom the name of the band and the song in the bottom left or something I didn't know that so I didn't even know what band it was and I was just like this is this is amazing I yeah and then it went on to Eminem and to Fifty Cent and other stuff and then you know but um I my dad works in the Air Force and we ended up uh, getting he got sent to work in Thailand. Um, and I'm a big video gamer, so at that point I was playing the original Call of Duty online when I was, well, it would have been, I would have been 14, 14, and um, I was playing in a Singaporean Call of Duty 1 clan called, what was it called? Um, Night Stalkers, yeah, Night Stalkers, and there was another kid in the clan I forgot, i've forgotten his name now it's been so long but i was talking to him about how my favorite like uh uh death metal bands were system of a down and disturbed and he was just like are you serious like no 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 look i'll show you if you want if you're open-minded i will show you what death metal is truly and he sent me deicide cannibal corpse um morbid angel suffocation he sent me a plethora of black metal because that was his thing, a plethora of power metal, folk metal, um, all the stuff. And I like that was one MSN conversation that I had with him at about 7 p.m. at night after having a, a Call of Duty team practice. And I, I just didn't know. What, I was like, okay. And I just played each of these things. And then the next day I was like, do you have more? Like, do you have more bands you can show me? Like, what sh- how, do I, how do I find these things? I've never heard any of this, but like, if this is death metal, then – I'm gonna have to. <clears throat> I'm gonna have to get in on that, and yeah, then it was just a budding friendship of me logging into MSN Messenger, hoping that he was also finished with school, and then him sending me more and more bands. Um, you know, like crappy, low quality MP3s. Um, yeah, and that's how I got into it. And at that at that same time, I started playing guitar. Um, you know, just at home bedroom, terrible off brand of an off brand guitar with an off brand of an off brand little. 10 watt guitar amp that didn't have a distortion or anything um but it i it wasn't until i got to see Meshuggah live in 2008 on a whim because i actually didn't like Meshuggah that much um at that point in time that i it it blew every notion i had that came that was associated with music blew all of that out of the water and i, I basically wasn't able to speak for like a couple of days because i just didn't know what happened it was like a complete like a rewiring of my own brain of sorts i just didn't know what to do after that i took music seriously i was like i want to play in band i want to write lyrics i want to play guitar in bands i want to i just want you know i want to spend all of as much as my free time as possible making metal music at that point now i'm delving into other things but that's how i started and if it weren't for that one guy in that singaporean clan and Meshuggah, that i we wouldn't be having this conversation and I wouldn't know Michael, which which would suck. Yeah, and as as for me, uh, funny enough, uh, I I also had a similar first experience. <laughs> uh, I uh, my parents didn't really listen to music, 
and nobody really showed me music. So in my life, uh, with the exception of like, uh, I think the only record that I really listened to until I was in the eighth grade or seventh grade, which I will still stand as one of my top five albums of all time, is uh, The Police, Every Breath You Take, The Singles, which is a masterpiece. And uh, I was in some class where we had to do something with a CD. I can't even remember what the hell we were doing in like the eighth grade. And our teacher was just hanging out, handed out CDs like, here, use this CD to do whatever the assignment was. And she handed me Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. Oh, (laughs) I put on on paper cut and I was like, I think I like I I, I, the vocals didn't even start yet. I think I kept like replaying the first riff like like seven (laughs) times. And I was like, what the fuck? And uh, because I had never heard anything like because I didn't listen to the radio. My parents didn't show me anything. And um uh, it wasn't even just heavy music. It was just music at all. It, like, it was like a switch flipped in my brain from like, I never think about music at all to like, music is now the most important thing in my life from this moment on, which has stayed true. And um, from there, I, I mean, I was in eighth grade, so I would have been, I'm, I'm young for my grade, or I was young for my grade. I'm not school anymore. But I was, uh, so I was like probably 12 or 13. And by the time I was 14, I was probably 14 or 15. And I was listening to like, I had like every Inflames album and I was listening to Amorphous and like I had gotten into big into the, uh, the Gotham, like the Gothenburg scene. And um, I just started wanting to find like, it was a very short amount of time from like, Oh wow. Music to like two and a half years later, I was like, I'm buying a Burzum CD um, and uh, all kinds of, all kinds of shit like that. And um by the time I was six, by the time I was fifteen or sixteen, I was in my first band, wanting to go around yelling and screaming. So, I mean, and you know, uh, there's there's so many there's so many moments in that in that whole time period that I could point out. But you know, basically, it all that that that's the starting point for me. And I've just wanted to play as much music as possible ever since I started in my first band, uh, which I've kind of been doing. And at this at this point, like I'm. I, I, I'm doing just as much metal as I am not, and I'm loving all of it. So yeah. Stephen talked a little bit about how he got into guitar. Michael, how did you start with your vocals? Um, well, I've always been attracted most to the singing of stuff. I mean, well, really, the songs, I guess, are the first thing for me, and I would consider myself a songwriter just as much as I do a singer. I mean, not a singer. You, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, and um, I, I, at first, I, I've, I was always a super shy kid, um, like very shy. Um, and uh, I thought, oh, there's no way I can be a singer because you got to have confidence and you got to, you know, you know, you see music videos on TV and stuff. You're like, that's not me. Um, and uh, so I tried to be a guitarist for like a month and I hated it i was just like my fingers hurt uh, i don't know what i'm doing i don't i don't know what these scales are i don't i don't know what's going on here and uh i just kind of gave up because i didn't really care that much about it and uh but i realized i was trying to sing along to like every song so i was like well i guess i should be a singer but i can't really sing in key and uh anything or anything but when i found metal i thought like screaming was like the coolest shit ever and it was such like a raw expression of emotion so i was like well uh, i guess i'm doing i'm gonna do this so uh i just kind of made myself like i i made a friend very randomly in high school like friend of a friend who 
I met at like their local show and I added him on Facebook and he, they're at their like breakup show. And he was like, Hey, me and the drummer are starting a new band post who sings. And I was like, oh, I guess I do. And I really didn't, but they tried me out and let me in. So <laughs> that's pretty much it. So from there, I, you know, you play your first show, you record your first thing. You're like, Whoa, singing is the coolest thing ever. I need to do this way more. And so I've been doing it a lot, obviously. <laughs> Um, so you guys have kind of brushed over some of the other projects, your other projects, other bands you're involved in. Um, is is there any details you want to go into about any of those other ones? Yeah, I'll start because my list is really short, and Michael's in, an incredibly busy individual. Um, I am currently playing in a death metal band locally in in Dunedin called I Am Void. <clears throat> We released our first single, uh, it would have been um, three weeks ago. No, two weeks ago, sorry. Two weeks ago on Spotify um, and all the other online nonsense things. And yeah, so that's just sort of the main project that I've been working on uh, in terms of like a live a live project. I'm also working on some Hush Hush, uh, another death metal band locally. Death metal is where I live now. Um, that's sort of what I do every day, but, um, yeah, so I'm working on that. And I also, I sort of on and off have like a solo project that I work on, which is, isn't necessarily metal. It isn't necessarily anything. It's sort of just like whatever I want to do. Um, that's called our free reflections. And that's sort of, it can be anything from post rock to black metal to electronic to, it's just like my personal, uh, project that I just do stuff that doesn't may not have a live context or is a bit incredibly far-fetched and wouldn't sit properly live or no one would really want to pick it up uh, um, as like a an artist because it's just sort of experiments, as it were. Yeah, so that's, that's what I have locally otherwise. Yeah, for me, um, I, got, I got a few things going on. Um, of course, I'm doing um, Solid Austral, which is you know, hugely important to me. Um, I was recent until, well, not recently anymore, I guess, but until, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago or a year ago, I was, uh, I had spent, I think four or five years in a, uh, kind of death metal death core group called, uh, Lorelei. Um, we had gotten a little bit of, a little bit of traction in a couple spots, but, you know, for various, you know, more like personal, not personal, like, like people disliking each other just like personal life stuff we ended up having to split up unfortunately but uh i've got i'm working on a doom metal band right or it's kind of a doom metal band uh that is about to debut we're about to do our first single back at home in north carolina um as well as you know various uh, other projects like uh forest father will we're working on something that's more like a <laughs> our first record's like a that we already put out like when I was much younger, it was like a folk black metal group uh, record. But the next one is going to sound like, like dream pop and nobody's going to like it, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's, it's not metal at all, but, um, and, uh, I'm also, as I said, doing another more secret project. that sounds very much like really fucked up, like Despel Omega kind of stuff, uh, which I won't mention the name of, but if, if you hear it in the next few months and, you happen to recognize my voice don't tell anybody and uh my um 
I think. Am I forgetting anything else besides my big project? I don't think so. Yes, you Sorry are. if I'm forgetting it. Sorry, any well, except for the one. But I was trying to get everything else. But the other big the, the, the thing I'm doing is a group called um, Flat District, which is not metal at all. Um, which is uh, a project that I kind of came up with the name of and kind of the aesthetic idea of back in like 2014, I guess, when I uh, when I first moved to Wilmington in, in North Carolina, and um, which I've since left, fortunately. And I, it went, it's gone through various lineups. It kind of like me trying to put my a very pure aesthetic of what what I want to hear in a certain kind of music out, which is more um, kind of a dream pop uh, electronic, uh, a little bit of ambient. I don't really know how to describe it, but uh, like a little bit eighties pop. And um, <clears throat> I um, have worked with various lineups, but I was not really good enough to at the time. As we were trying to figure it out to kind of live up to those lineups, and I've moved around, and now I think we have a more stable group of of three, including myself. And we are uh, we've released an EP and are about to release another EP, uh, probably in a month or two. Uh, that's you know. So if you want to hear some '80s pop, kind of dream pop, I don't know, electronic, whatever comes to mind, then you can check that out. I think that's everything. Uh, but if I'm forgetting anything, uh, sorry <laughs> to whoever's <laughs> in. <laughs> Is there anything you've been listening to, reading, watching, playing lately? Um, let me think. Listening? Well, yeah, I'm listening to stuff all the time. Um, uh, I think my biggest my biggest records for the year, off the top of my head. Um, are going to be uh, the new Jan Gray album, Insulated World. Uh, whenever they put some out, they've never failed. So that. Um, I really love uh, the new George Clanton record, Slide. Um, I love the new uh, Trevor Something record, Ultra Paranoia. I love uh, the new Earl Sweatshirt album, Some Rap Songs. Uh, it's really fucking good. Uh, new Wonder Tricks Point Never uh, Age of as well as I actually discovered like I got into Wonder Tricks Point Never I don't know if you've heard him this year because I had heard him but I didn't really get it but now it's like I've listened to like nothing but Wonder Tricks Point Never for like I don't know like five months at this point uh, it's, it's fucking ridiculous like I, I just got like Replica on vinyl and I just got uh, Fall Into Time and what is the other one? Is it Returnal that I got? I don't know. Oh, and I just bought... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on vacation right now in England. I just bought a Future Sounds of London vinyl for um, Life Forms the other day. That was really sick. Um, as for reading, I don't really read a lot, but the last book I read was a book called House of Leaves, and that shit was fucking awesome. So you should read that if you haven't, whoever's listening to this. And uh, as for playing... Uh, so honestly like almost all of what i've been playing lately is um is fortnite but that's because that's uh, my job i work i work at epic games so like like pretty much like all i have time to do is fortnite if i'm not working on music because because i have to do things related to it so that's that's pretty much it like my whole life my whole life has been like <laughs> fortnite and <laughs> and music <laughs> <laughs> like not in a, you know what I mean. In terms of me, 
in terms of listening to stuff this year, I've been um, listening to a lot more sort of modern prog stuff. So there's a band, like a three-piece prog rock band from the U.S. called Covet um, that has a female guitarist in it called Yvette Young, who is, is just an amazing, what do you call it, uh, all-encapsulating artist. So she does like... She does like visual arts, poetry. She and is also an incredible songwriter and uh, guitarist at the same time. So I'd, I've um, been cranking the Covet Effleurus vinyl. Um, I'm just digging the fuck out of that. Um, locally, I one of my, my, my I think I've told you this before, Ben, but my favorite local band, um, Koizilla, released their a full out length album called Lazy Hazy, and I very much recommend everyone who's listening to listen to Koizilla's music in general, but Lazy Hazy, because it's so, it sounds like Dunedin. That's really all I can say, but it's just like this amazing psychedelic surf rock pop indie type stuff. And they're amazing live and just the nicest individuals. And it's just really awesome. Um, Also, there's a band in New Zealand called Tuscoma and they're like a, they used to be called Hollywood Fun Downstairs, and they used to be sort of more like sort of noise indie type stuff. But they've over the years they've slowly transitioned into like this really uh, abrasive, but also like uh, palatable black metal. And they've also changed their name to Tuscoma. So that, um, and in terms of like my pure passion, which is death metal, Hate Eternal's new album is like a a freight train of pure intensity with like a, a with a bunch of spikes on the front of it that seem to just like rip everything and just catch everything and just like drag it along for the ride and um it just made me really happy to one be a part of like a death metal scene somewhere but to know that like the old boys can still smash it real hard um also been listening to a lot of morbid angels album from last year uh kingdoms disdained I really like um, – I just really like that shit so much. Uh, playing, um, this is going to be hilarious, but I'm like – I'm a hardcore advocate of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is the uh, – Raider. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> which is like the, 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 the other side of the coin to Fortnite. Um, unfortunately, the Oceanic servers have died, so I haven't been able to play it as much, but – um, that Counter Strike. I've been playing a lot of Fallout Four, which has actually given me some ideas and sonically for a, a future album that uh, Michael and I will be working on. Not one that's coming out next year, but one that's a bit further down the line. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been playing and reading. Uh, I actually just got a book that I was supposed to bring up with me to Wellington that I left. Um, back down in Dunedin, so I'm actually missing the book that I should be reading right now, and I actually haven't started it yet, but my, a friend recommended it to me, and I read the first, I don't know, 50 words, and I was, like, hooked, but I, you know, I've been, yeah, ended up up here without it, so, yeah.
That was Oasis by Stella Destral from their album Oasis. And during the middle of the interview, you heard Pennies Down the Infinity Well. Thank you for Stephen and Michael for you know making the time to chat with me. I really enjoyed it and um, yeah, really looking forward to what they've got ahead. Not just in their, not just in Stella Destral, but in the. <laughs> numerous bands as you would have heard that they also perform in uh recommendation before i finish off here uh this is from a pennsylvania what i presume is a one-man band but like a lot of these bands it's difficult to ascertain any specific details uh from pennsylvania called Vale. his album the folklore of man really really enjoyable album a variety of kind of atmospheric black metal stuff and infused post-rock which is interesting because often like you'll hear those two things they they don't often mix in the sort of way you have here which is a really cool thing to hear often you'll have you know bands with like atmospheric stuff but not kind of like that that odd way that black metal can do atmospheric when it's not specifically post-rock it also has a folky feel i think a lot of some of those american bands they often incorporate folk stuff maybe it's just i'm thinking of a cover band or maybe it's something just in the way that maybe it's the way some of those bands from the middle more middle of the country um approach the genre just 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 one thing i should mention before you listen to the album the first track is a little bit goofy, and I say that not as an insult. I, I think what you, the best way to listen to this album would be skip that track. Just skip it. Don't listen to it. And listen to the rest of the album. Come back to it. That'll give you time to sort of settle into it. And when you've come to that track, hopefully you're a little bit more in the headspace of that atmospheric black metal stuff, which kind of adds to that maybe dark ambient approach with lots of different scapes. Um, it kind of, I think up front's a little bit too much and you might skip it, skip the whole album, unfortunately, if you might, if you're not settling into it properly. But I think if you come back to it, you'll, you'll have a greater appreciation for it. So that's The Folklore of Man by a band called Vale, V-A-L-E. That is my first episode of the year. Thank you so much for joining me and hopefully we have a great year ahead. Uh, I hope you had a really good New Year's and I hope, um, all your resolutions come true. I'm going to work on mine, but we'll see how we go. See ya.